Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, thank you for joining another edition of Three Squares. We are thrilled that you are here, and we know that you will be as well after you listen to our guests and participate in today's quiz. I'm Charlie Arnott with Look East and the Center for Food Integrity, working hard every single day to keep the food system trustworthy, along with my two co-hosts, Kevin Ryan and Susan Schwally, baseball and fisherman extraordinaire. Susan, you want to introduce yourself? Susan Schwally. I'm with Circana, where we help clarify consumer behavior. And I have a 12-year-old who plays Little League and loves fishing. There you go. And I'm Kevin Ryan, uh, CEO of Malachite Strategy and Research, uh, helping uh, CPG and retailers with front-end innovation. And Kevin, once again, has landed an excellent guest for us today. We know you're going to learn a lot and enjoy more information and conversation with Sarah Brooks. So Kevin, you want to do the introduction and kick us off? Yes, I have the pleasure of introducing uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Brooks, uh, and I'm, she's going to give us a lot more information about herself, but uh, you know, Sarah has a, an, an interesting area that we haven't really touched much on here on Three Squares, which is PR, which is so important to you know the CPG world and everything. But I, I think we we I, I feel guilty that we haven't really spoken much about it. So we're trying to you know remedy that right now. So Sarah is the co-founder of Goldilocks, which is a brand strategy consultancy and early stage CPG uh, company uh, PR firm. Um, she helps founders discover why people love and purchase their products and how to keep them coming back for more. Uh, she was also the founder and CEO of, of Covet PR, uh, where she worked with lots of different uh, CPG companies. Her agency represented some of the biggest names in food and beverage uh, and wellness companies, including ones that you've definitely heard of, uh, Beyond Meat, Carbone, uh, Magic Spoon, Feastables, uh, Smart Sweets, Ziggy's, uh, Siete, and many others. So uh, we are extremely excited to have uh, Sarah uh, here with us. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Well, first off, I feel left out not having a super fancy microphone, Charlie. Oh. Evan. I mean, man, you guys make it official here. It's That's all why we have right a podcast, off. so we can have microphones. That's right. It's That's amazing. the only reason we do this. Yes. It's amazing. Um, such a pleasure to be here today. I'm, I'm really excited to chat about this. As um, For those who don't know, I was following Kevin's Culture Matters for a long time. And one day, as publicists do, we have no shame. We just blindly reach out and say, hey, you want to be friends? And Kevin and I have struck up a friendship over the last year or so. And it's, it's just really nice to be here today. Excited to chat PR and all things kind of brand building with you guys. Yeah, it's excellent to have you. Excellent. I think this is going to be great. So why don't we just kick it off by, you know, just, you know, if you could just give us a little bit of background, you know, uh, I feel like such a newbie when it comes to just PR in general, but like, give us a little sense of your career. I gave a little bit of a highlight, but your career and tell us a little bit about Goldilocks. Sure. So I have been a publicist for um, almost 20 years. I, I started my career out way, way back then. Um, pre-PR at working at MTV and E! News and casting and television, and then was in New York for about a decade. 
I launched uh, Covet in 2014. And this was a time, as you guys know, and your listeners probably know, that we were kind of pre this like wellness boom explosion. There was, I don't know if Erwan even existed. If it did, it wasn't, you know, selling $22 smoothies at the time. But I, I was seeing this growing trend of founder-led mission-driven brands that were starting to take market share from some of these big legacy companies like Kellogg's and Mills and really seeing that people were, you know, getting on social, they were more curious about what was in the food. They had more power to make decisions. There was much more of a connection between brands and founders, be it Twitter, other platforms. And so I I found a big white space, which was, you know, to be super, super focused um, on CPG. And so Covet over the course of running the agency for six years, we were revenue agnostic, so we worked with a ton of pre-revenue brands, launched brands like Epic Bar, Chameleon Cold Brew, um, Once Upon a Farm, took many through their acquisition. We handled Beyond Meats IPO, and then we worked with a lot of these larger kind of household names. Um, sold the company in 2020, largely um, because of what we're going to talk about today, which is the changing PR landscape, and PR has evolved so much. Um, and then worked for the um, private equity firm, worked for the agency that bought us, and then lucky enough to have another sale last year. Left last year, really didn't know what to do because I do have a non-compete. So I actually have two and a half years. So Goldilocks is not a PR firm for any lawyers that are hearing this. Right. Um, and um, really was like, what what is there to do? Like you have all these amazing brands. This was also when a little pre like the economy having a, this little mini collapse and you had so many um, digitally native brands. And one of the things I learned throughout my career is that if you don't stand for something and if you're not really solving a consumer need, something jobs to be done, I know you talk a lot about that. It's going to be really, really hard not only to exist, but then to eventually become profitable and then eventually to have an exit. And if you don't do that early foundational work and really figuring out what is that unique thing that you deliver that no one else can deliver on, it's really, really hard to stand a chance. And so my my partner, um, Heather McNeil Cox, who has an illustrious career in CPG, more of a traditional marketing background, she and I came together to start Goldilocks. Right. That's good. Good background for us. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. You, you know, you talked about there's been a big shift and a change, and the importance of defining yourself. I guess forever I've heard the mantra of um, "there's no such thing as bad PR." Can you talk? <laughs> I love just, this mantra. Can you talk about that. I can. And, and to add to that, Bill Gates has a famous quote that said, if I was down to my last dollar, I'd spend it on PR. Mm. And I'm going to be um, a little counterculture here and say there is such a thing as bad PR. And um, generally speaking, you know, getting out there, getting on people's radar is the great thing. But what we are seeing now, whether it's M&Ms or Bud Light, um, we are in this 24-7 news cycle where people will troll your brand and you make one bad mistake and you don't even have a second to catch your breath and try to come out with a statement because people are watching. And so it is we're in this very interesting time where PR is probably more important and more effective than ever because this idea of social proof and credibility through third parties, whether it be publishers or influencers or celebrities, really matters. But at the same time, one wrong misstep and a brand can have a lot of issues. And so PR matters. PR is great, but not all PR is created equal. Mm -hmm. 
So, sir, let me follow up on that if I, if yeah. I can, because I think you, you really identified something that is a challenge for many brands today. And that's the fact that everything seems to be polarized yeah. um, and, and retail CPG, it's all a game of addition. And it feels today as though if you take any position, it becomes a game of division. Uh, you mentioned a couple of high profile M&Ms, Bud Light, but clearly there are many others. So is this the future of CPG? Is it an anomaly? And then what do brands do when they're trying to 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 build a following, build build customers, build interest, but avoid stepping on those landmines? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and unfortunately, I don't think there's a simple answer. I think what you have to have as a brand is you have to have a North Star. And similar to how companies have brand mission, brand values, core values, ways they, you know, hire, fire, promote internally, you have to have that same sort of framework for when you build your brand. If you are blowing in the wind and trying to catch on with every trend and be everything to everybody, oftentimes you're nothing to anyone. And so I think it's really important. It can be, it can be so tempting to, to do something because other people are doing it. And there's this idea of FOMO, but this idea of authenticity is so critical in 2023 because people, the internet exists. And so if you're a founder and you're going to, you know, go on a soapbox and say, you really believe in this, someone will find a Reddit thread or a Twitter thread from 2013 and you'll be called out. And I don't love this, right? I don't think this is, this is fair, but it is the world in which we live in. And so what that means for brands is that you have to be intentional. You have to be authentic. You have to be methodical. There has to be, of course, some degree of um, trying new things and, and, you know, developing a newer audience. But I think what happens is that when there's this pressure of constantly talking on topics, reporting on things, um, giving comments on things that you're maybe not the best suited for, oftentimes you see a lot of backlash. Yeah. Speaking of authenticity, you know, I'm one of the questions I wanted to ask was about celebrity. It seems like everybody, everybody is getting into owning a CPG brand. I mean, so if it's not, you know, Ryan Reynolds owning gosh, what doesn't Ryan Reynolds own anymore? It feels like, or it has a piece of, you know, to, you know, everyone trying Mr. Beast cookies, you know, or something like that. So it's either celebrity or, or alcohol. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, is, you know, there's a lot of celebrities in there and, you know, you speak a little bit about authenticity. Is that what it's about? I mean, is there a magic bullet? Oh my God. Do we have 13 hours for this topic? Because that's a hot button topic. And I know yeah. I think you've spoken about this, but like CPG consumer package goods, two, three yeah. years ago became celebrity package goods. Right. Now it's now it's this idea of creator package goods. Like we've transcended the traditional Hollywood celebrity and we're looking to these content creators and TikTok stars. And what I will say is that celebrity, the ways in which celebrity moved the needle in 2013 is so different than it is in 2023, mm. largely because of the saturation. And I remember, you know, being a publicist in New York and people would be like, okay, we're going to launch this new hair care brand. And it was just what celebrity do we use? And if you had enough money and you paid enough money and you timed it to something coming out for them, you were pretty much guaranteed a successful launch. Now, the rate at which that either can backfire, both in terms of, I I actually was just thinking about this the other day, Lady Gaga just endorsed a migraine medication on her Instagram feed. Mm. And if you look at it, it's like all of her fans. And then she has this really misplaced, in my point of view, endorsement. And her fan base turned on her so quickly. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, even if she got $20 million for that, 
I don't think on a monetary way it would be worth it because right. of what it meant to her fan base. And you think, man, do you really need a dollar that you're going to endorse? And especially because she's been so open about talking about like naturopathic ways. And so not only does it seem like she's selling out, mm. but it also seems like she's not speaking about something that she's authentically believing in. So right. what I tell people, I had a call last week, a client called, said, we, we, we're not getting the brand awareness we want. Retailers love us, investors love us, but people, the average person doesn't need us. We need a celebrity. And instead of saying, let's go to work, I said, why do you need a celebrity? And oftentimes, if you if you ask 10 questions to their statement of I need a celebrity, you find they actually don't need a celebrity. They mean they may need 10 other things. And so I think my my quick answer is it can still work. It's can super be super powerful. Um, one example of that I think is a great example of that is when Jen Garner came on to Once Upon a Farm. And why it works is because she's at Expo West. She's she's meeting with retailers. She's meeting with buyers. She is she has a farm in which she's like producing the actual fruit that's being used in the pouches. But there's 10 examples for that one example where consumers see through it and they call BS and it really backfires on a brand. Wow. Interesting. So I'm just like, trying to get all this to the point of it used to be you would pay a celebrity to endorse your product. Mm -hmm. Now we see all kinds of celebrities actually co-creating and owning the product. Yeah. And then now we have some celebrities and we have affiliate marketing, right? They may be a celebrity or they may just have a huge social following. Like how is that Cause that's like, right. You're endorsing and making a cut. Yeah. It's it's, I, I had a call actually yesterday with my friends over at William Morris and Endeavor working on a celebrity for a brand. And there's about 30, which ways to cut the pie here. There's royalties, there's brand ambassadors, there's co-founder status. There's this, you know, what I, this, BS chief innovator status, or they make these like ridiculous C-suite titles that just, I want to roll my eyes at now. And so there are so many different ways to structure a partnership with celebrities. There's all equity deals. There's all cash deals. Um, there's the complexities of when you add exclusivities to what your category is. So they can't touch 10 things in, in a year of a bookend of their actual sponsorship. So the reality is, is it, it runs the gamut. I would say on the lower end, you have this like affiliate marketing model, which is a celebrity or influencer posts a product. There's a link, they get a percentage of sales, which is what we're seeing right now in traditional publishing. This, this idea used to have a separation of church and state. Now you email an editor, they CC their commerce editor. They say, we'll include it. What's your commission? You say 10%, they'll say, make it 20% and I'll include you. And it's like, is, is the product even good? Like what happened to like ethical reporting? And so this whole industry of brands awareness has been completely flipped on its head. And it's really a reflection of what's happening in the economy as well. These publishers can't stay afloat with traditional advertising because traditional advertising doesn't work anymore. And so they're looking to be incentivized through these additional revenue streams. And so it's really hard. I have a lot of empathy for brand founders and marketing teams understanding where to deploy budgets because what worked now doesn't work six months ago. And it right. certainly won't work, you know, six months ago from today. So you just have to be very nimble and you have to try a lot of A-B testing. So who does this benefit more? Because I could see this really benefiting small, small companies. Like for instance, let's take it really micro. Sure. So I'm part of the CrossFit community. I'm not going to go off on CrossFit and try and recruit you. Don't worry. 
I've tried. I just, I just can't. So, so, but keep going, keep going. What, but, what about but, Amway, Susan? Are you gonna, are you gonna try to get us to do Amway before the end of the call? I've never or? done Amway. I do okay, live in good. Amway land, but we All won't right, no go CrossFit, there. No Amway. All right. It, well, better. CrossFit isn't a pyramid scheme, but the point is, I have a lot of much younger, more talented former coaches in my life who are probably doing affiliate marketing for products on their social media a lot of startup small products. So I'm thinking that this whole thing is like a much easier way for startups and smaller folks and really confounding and could really backfire more quickly on the bigger folks. But maybe that's just a real bad generalization. You know, I think it's it's not a bad generalization. I, I know a ton of brands that are you know, two, three people have no marketing budget and are just like grew up in this digitally native world where they can just like growth hack. And that, that terms I think been like, like bastardized in the, in the last few years, like, what does it mean? But you don't need to have these crazy budgets. And oftentimes when you do have these large budgets, you, you, you misuse the spend and you really kind of cheapen the authenticity of the brand. So I can count, I, I can think of so many brands right now that just have like a very savvy 23 year old TikTok creator and they hop on the cottage cheese bandwagon, whatever it is. And, and the product sells out and they've spent little to no money outside of someone's salary. And so it's less that I think about like what stage you are in a brand. And I think it's more how responsive can you be to things that are working and how quickly can you do it given the nature of how quickly things will stop working in like in, in rapid amount of time. Got it. So that's, that's a really a good segue to, to the, the last question here before we jump onto the quiz. So this is a, this is an incredibly dynamic environment, right? It's yeah. changing incredibly quickly. Uh, you've already mentioned a number of different paths that have changed just in the last handful of years different different methods, different channels, different ways to to enhance brand uh, awareness. So if I'm making a PR spend today, how do I maximize my ROI, right? What would your recommendation be to say, okay, hey, I'm going to start Charlie's food company and I want your advice. How do I maximize my ROI and my PR spend? Sure. So I would say that if a client comes to me and says they want PR, the one thing I might question back to them will be, do you have budget outside of just PR? Because your PR will die in an echo chamber that no one will benefit from. And what I mean by that is if you have a great PR team and they get you fast companies, world changing ideas, that's great. You can use it in the investor community. You can post about it on LinkedIn, but like how that matters for consumer is then you have a paid media that retargets them. Like see why this coffee is fast companies, world changing idea. What I mean by that is PR has to then have an omni-channel presence because we know that third-party credibility matters more. You know, Fast Company says it's the best coffee. We say it's the best coffee. Fast Company is going to matter a lot more, but it's what you do with that. So do you have a great content marketing team? Do you have great social to use that? Do you have um, the ability to then repurpose it for paid media? And you can still do this rather cost-effectively. I'm not saying you need a lot of money, but where I think a lot of brands get wrong is thinking that PR is this magic bullet and, and it's going to solve all your problems. It's not. And in fact, when people say like, I want $3 back for every $1 I spend in PR, I'll say, that's great. But then show me all your other channels and what you're going to spend against the PR we get you. So I think that's that, that, and that hasn't changed. I think that's just become more and more important as people spend more and more time online. Wow. Fascinating. Sarah, this has been amazing. Uh, 
just scratching the surface and what we could talk about, but Very we much. really appreciate that. We're going to transition now. Kevin, every every episode has a fabulous quiz for us, and you're welcome to stick around and participate. Yes, you can participate oh, yeah. in the quiz. Okay. Well, I'd like to just say for everyone listening, this is a pop quiz because there has been no um, there's been no ready men on my end. No, and I, oh, no, 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 ours no, neither. No, nor, Only nor Kevin knows. Oh, Only I, I know. Pop quizzes. But we're yeah, gonna we watch have Charlie no idea lose. what he's going to be asking about. All all we know is that I'm going to beat Susan. That's the only thing we know for certain. Amazing. Is that I mean, it's that's not going to happen. How it I'm going rivalry. You could. You, yeah. This is it's yeah. palpable. You tell. It's rivalry. tense. I'm so, the only one that knows. I've kept it, you know, as uh, now I'm really showing my age, John, uh, you know, Johnny Carson in a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like quiz. Carmack. Or something or yes. Like yes. So on to the quiz. Here we go. Okay. So this um, July is National Ice Cream Month. I don't know if everyone knows that July is, is National Ice Cream Month. It is. Well, it can be both. In the hot it can dog be both. I'm cream. sure it's tons of stuff, but it's National Ice Cream Month. And we're heading into, I'm sure a lot of ice cream is going to be, uh, you know, consumed this weekend, probably. So I thought a quiz on everything kind of ice cream. And by that, I mean, frozen novelties as well are included in there would be kind of fun. So, so it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a multiple choice. So you, you all get a choice here. So, okay. Question one. Uh, the most expensive ice cream in the world as of May of this year cost how much per scoop per scoop? Wow. All right. Are you going to tell us what it is? Yeah. There's definitely uh, gold flex in there. Yes, gold there is gold flex in there. Okay, there, let's do there it. There is gold flex. Okay. Is it A, $500 a scoop, B, $3,500 a scoop, C, $7,000 a scoop, or D, $10,000 a scoop? So you just have to guess. Which is it? Which is it? $3,500. 3,500 says Susan. Sarah, you said? 10,000. 10,000. Charlie? No, I'm going to go with the with the 7,000. That one? There's... Charlie is correct. It is 7,000. It's a Japanese ice cream maker called Salado. Wow. Uh, and this ice cream, it holds the Guinness Book of World's Record. It has, as Sarah pointed out, Gold Flex. But actually, that's not what drives the cost. It's a rare white truffle. Which doesn't mm. sound good in ice cream at all, no. but it's gold a rare, rare, rare trouble. Yes, yeah. but it's gold, gold flex and Goldschlager don't sound good either, except no. at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Charlie's up for one. Charlie's right. up one. Okay. Right. What, on, per- what percentage? I just want to say why I said ten thousand is the marketer and me even number like nine 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 point nine nine. You just put it at ten. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. The other thing I would think though is maybe in yen. It came out. Oh, as, <laughs> oh that could be. There was number. a unique number. Somehow. I'll bet it was. I'll bet it was in, in yen. I bet it comes out as round yeah. number. Okay. Is, is it eight or seven in the Japanese culture that has one of those? I think eight. Well, eight in China, I know, is is like a special number. Okay. I don't Never know mind. about in seven. Okay. What percentage of American freezers have ice cream or a frozen alternative treats, you know, like that in them? What percentage oh God, of American I freezers? I, yeah, you should know this. this. Is it 28%, 47%, 69%, or 90%? 69%. Okay. No, I think it's I think it's only like 28. And of course, I'm gonna say 90 because who doesn't want to have ice cream in their freezer? Right. And Susan, what was yours? The 28. Sarah is correct. It is 90%. In their freezers? In their freezers. I know, awesome. I know, Susan, you're going to text me later. I am going to look this up because plug, shameless plug, we just did our annual kitchen I, audit. I'm sure you, I'm sure. And I'm, and if it's not, we will correct it on the next one. But from all the data that I could find, and it might've come from Circana, it could have come from Circana. But is this household penetration on an annual basis? 
It's how many people have it in their this freezers. This is a family show, Susan. Yes. Exactly. Knock it off. <laughs> All right, Charlie. We will revisit this. We will revisit it. All right. Number three. What were popsicles originally called? Were they called epsicles? Freesicles? Epsicles? Epsicles? Freesicles? Smithsicles? Or icesicles? Epsicle sounds like a seizure medicine. So it I'm going to go with freesicles. Freesicles. Okay. Sarah's locked in. Susan? Well, first I thought you said testicles. No. But now here we go again. This is a family I was, show. I was going to go freesicles, but I'm not going to go with Sarah. Why not? Okay. You can go with Sarah if you want. You can. And what are the other options? Epsicles, freesicles, smithsicles, or icicles? I'm going to go smithsicles. Smithsicles. Probably okay. some smith I'm going to go smithsicles as well, just for giggles. Oh, sure, Charlie. And you're all wrong. It's epsicles. Epsicles? Epsicles. Popsicle was originally invented in 1905 by Frank Epperson. <sighs> and he he uh, called it ep- Epsicles because uh, at 11 years old, he invented it. He had like a frozen beverage, left it out on the porch uh, and it froze overnight. However, his children didn't refer to it as Epsicles. They referred to it as Pops Icicle. Dessert. Oh, because he's their dad. Popsicles. Yes. On, on oh. our next. On our next podcast, remind me to tell you the story of how there's an urban legend in my family that my great-great-grandfather actually invented the Dove Bar by mistake, but never got the credit. Oh, wow. That's intriguing. Yes. That's very cool. Yes. Okay. All right, Kevin, last one. Here we go. Uh, Let's see. Which one do I want to do here? I had two more, but okay. Klondike bars were originally called what? Yukon bars? Arctic bars, freezer squares, or Antarctic treats. Arctic bars. I'm going Arctic bars. Yeah, I'm going Arctic bars. Okay, two Arctic bars, Sarah. Yukon. Sarah's correct. It was Yukon bars. Sarah. Ice. Yes. I mean, good rebrand because what would you do for a Klondike bar doesn't sound as good with what would you do for a Yukon bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he invented it to number one, to appeal to adults. He took the stick mm-hmm. out because he thought that was very kitty and he wrapped it in foil very smartly because it it, it like popped, right? It yeah, popped yeah, compared to everything it else. It, so it, yeah, it has this premium for look. Freezer square. Yeah. Now, I think we have some gold have to, flex in it that would yeah. even make it better. I think we have a lot of time for the last question. Yeah, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Ben and Jerry's is famous for being one of the most, the first commercially available ice cream with big chunks of candy and cake and cookies inside. What was Ben and Jerry's original reason for having big chunks? Was it A, their first freezers froze the ice cream rock hard and the chunks made it easier to scoop? Was it B, Ben Cohen doesn't have a sense of smell or taste? So we wanted ice cream with more texture. Was it C? The original scoop shop was next to a cookie factory and they they received all the factory seconds in broken pieces. Or was it D? It was a tax savings. Because of the high percentage of cookies and candy, the ice cream wasn't taxed the same as regular ice cream and they saved the company millions. They're liberals, so I don't think they care about D. Yeah, I'm going B. I'm going lack of lack of sense of smell. I'm going it's, C. It's weird enough. I'm gonna, I was going to go to a cookie well. factory. Okay, Sarah, what did you say? Which one? C. C, original scoop shop next to a cookie factory. And then yeah. Charlie, what was yours? B, he, he didn't have a sense of smell, and so he wanted okay. to have a texture. And then uh, Susan? C, I'm with Sarah. Sarah, Charlie is correct. What? 
Ben Cohen is, uh, he has a, a rare sinus dis- uh, thing called anosmia. He has no sense of taste and smell. What? He only uh, derives t- pleasure from the ice cream through the texture. So, Kevin, I'm wondering if we should collectively contribute to Susan's therapy. Um, <laughs> and since I, I, I just continued to obliterate her on every single quiz. Wow. It's clearly oh, has to have some kind you of should, Sarah, you should see the text chain. It's Charlie, constant burns every I, I time. Charlie, <laughs> I understand the male ego. Maybe, maybe I'm just doing this so that you have a positive in your life. <laughs> what? Okay. What is every, do we have time? What is everyone's favorite ice cream flavor before we wrap? Yeah. Tin roof Sunday. Oh. Mm, I would say chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Yeah, that's good. With like the cho- Oberweiss Dairy in Illinois, it has like chocolate ice cream with like a like a ripple of of, mm. of peanut butter. It's delicious. Highly Susan, recommend. in ten seconds. Susan? I can't eat most ice cream because I can't have dairy, but there is a so delicious salted caramel that is mm. like real ice cream. I and I'm gonna go with a completely an outlier gumball ice cream. Oh wow! Never had a gumball. Do you like Superman ice cream? I, so I do you, do you chew the gum in it after the ice cream goes away? Or do you just swallow the gum and chew the gum as you're eating the ice cream? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Otherwise, gum stays in your stomach for seven years. You probably do that. <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, right. wow. Guys, have a great Fourth of July. Thank you so much. Join Thank us again you, on the edition of Three Squares. You can find us at three squares. Dot, uh, what is it? Three squares at gmail.com. Yes, if you want to send us an email, three squares mail at gmail.com. The number three squares mail at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time on Three Squares. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.